Okay, welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. We're back. We're back. I just want to get into it. I've been so excited to get back here. We skipped a week because... (sighs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why did we skip a week? so many things. Airports are terrible places. (laughs) Yeah, you got stuck out of the country... So we've skipped two podcasts, and one was because of your wedding. Yeah. And the other was because of your honeymoon. Well, I mean, technically, it's <laughs> I'm because just of Aer Lingus. I'm, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's I, all I just, about me. I just I wanted to sound like the most insensitive human being <laughs> that's ever existed. So job well done. You got you got married, huh? I got married. We have a lot to talk about, Tasha. So much to talk about. I like this is going to be a therapy episode for me. I hope you're ready yeah. for that. This is like the comeback episode. It is. We did our goals episode to like prime us for yeah. the new year. And now it's like reality is set in. It the new year is upon us. And we've survived the holidays. And it's week two. And people are already in my world anyways, dooming and glooming to me about how there's going to be a writer's strike and we can't sell anything this year and all the news stories about all the shows that are shutting down, even though they've already been produced and Mm. this landscape is worse than it's ever been. So I would love to use this opportunity Mm. to get rid of that noise. I would love that. You don't need that negativity in our lives, especially in January. Yeah. So we're going to talk about awesome writing things today. Awesome writing things, it, it, and it's a rainy, rainy day in Los Angeles. I kind of like the rain. It's kind of cleansing everything. I love everything. the rain. Even though it was a flash flood warning, but yeah, it's a great day, and we're yeah. back. Yeah. I feel like we have like 100 this week's in writings, just things. Things have built up. I want to start, though, with Joshua. Mm-hmm. How was your holiday? So, it was, <laughs> it was great. I got no writing done. Amazing. Zero, no, well, I tried to get writing done. And well, kind of what happens with me is I, like, I go in, I'm like, I have a plan. I have a great plan. And then that slowly just like goes away because my wife's off of work, my daughter's away from school, and then my mom comes into town. Explodes. And then any plan that I had, it was just like, it just like laughs at me. Yeah. Like, and... um I ended up accepting that I wasn't going to get anything done. So I was just thinking. I was just like a plotting for when when I could get back to my computer. Yeah. It's worse, I feel like, when you you tell yourself you're going to write and then mm-hmm. you just keep getting waylaid. It's, it's almost better to, like you say, resign yourself. I just, it's not going to happen. And yeah. I just have to deal with it because yeah like you say you can you can use that brain space instead of freaking out that you're not writing to actually be productive in a way so you know yeah write in your brain i will say when i let go and i accepted i was said i'm done i'm not i'm not getting anything done there was a sense of relief and i huh. actually kind of wish that i um that i accepted that a little earlier that's what yeah. i wish yeah so not to jump in on my story please but i told myself before i left on my honeymoon, which was like two weeks long, that I was not going to work. I didn't even bring my computer. Josh told me to bring my computer. Correct. And literally everyone else in my life said, don't bring your computer. 
And so while Josh is technically the voice in my head, <laughs> we're the same person in many ways that way, um, I let go and I didn't bring my computer, but... <laughs> oh, here we go. I did bring my iPad and secretly downloaded the final draft mobile app. Oh, just that's even in worse. Case. <laughs> that's even worse. It's like you met someone else on your honeymoon, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I didn't. I actually didn't do any work for two weeks. It was insane. It was amazing. I didn't mm. even think about it. That's a lie. But every time I thought about it, I brought myself right back to stop it. You're not, you, there's nothing you can do about it. You don't have your damn computer. Yeah. Just live in this moment. And it was wonderful. Although, and I'll talk about this later in great detail. Um, I did bring a book with me, one book that um, was a book on writing. And I do feel like reading about writing <laughs> while I was not writing was really, really helpful because it did make me feel like I was still, you know, working out my brain in yeah. all the right ways that I needed to and like getting myself excited again about writing because writing felt so exhausting at the end of 2022 that reading this book about writing made me excited again to get mm -hmm. into it. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, I think, maybe a really smart idea that I will pursue in the future. And then on my way back, because I got delayed a day, I gave myself permission to write even though I was on the plane, because technically I had allotted that day to be my first day back at work. <laughs> wow. I wrote an entire episode of television on the plane. All on your iPad? All on my iPad. That's great. How, how did it turn out? I think it's good. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I wow. turned it in last night. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. That's pretty... That's, that's actually a, a very successful non-writing... Uh, well, successful honeymoon, but non-writing uh, experience. Feels like say. it. I think so. Yeah. What you were saying is interesting about the book because it is tr it's almost like a hack. Like if you do read yeah. something on writing, it keeps your brain kind of, it's like you're working out, you're still kind of keeping the muscles fresh, but you're not actually doing it. And I actually feel like I should have read a book on writing. I messed Highly up. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. I'm going to just jump into some random stuff. Please. I think something. I have to talk about something. Have you seen Puss in Boots? No, and I'm dying to see it. Okay. Well, then maybe I'm going to put a pin in this story because I just want to talk about Puss in Boots. I love this movie so much. You can talk about it. Well, obviously, this is no spoilers, nothing like that, but I, I, I mean, I love this movie. And... I was reminded that the Spider-Verse movie really changed animation, and I feel like mm. a lot of the animation in Puss in Boots is directly taken from Spider-Verse and kind of the way the colors are and the way the characters move, and, and it's, just, oh, it's just so awesome. They have good villains. Puss in Boots is so much fun. There's a good so this story. So interesting because I've seen the first Puss in Boots movie. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah, I remember it being really strong and hilarious. And then... I think there was another one, right? No, there's a TV series. So I on Netflix. okay, so I saw the TV series, which actually wasn't bad, but then got progressively worse. Mm. And then I think there was an, another Puss in Boots series that oh. I tried, and that didn't work either. Like, there's been, and my point is, there's been like a, a phase where Puss in Boots went really sideways Interesting. and wasn't really made for adults. 
So you're saying it's come back and it's it's better? Uh, yeah, I love it. Hope okay. I I actually part of me wants you not to like it so I can just argue about how much I love this movie and so we could have a different opinion on it. Okay, even if I like it I'll pretend I don't so that we No, can no, no, it. just tell me. I, I would be really I'd actually be really <laughs> surprised if you didn't like the movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, that says I'm I mean, I love animated movies, so yeah. Yeah, it kind of went back to its old ways. It has adult moments. Yeah. Uh, there was parts where I was like, this is a little scary for kids. Like, there's, oh. there's things in it. It's just back, man. I just back. couldn't tell if it was an overcomplicated story. It feels like there's a lot going on in the trailer, and that can sometimes be a death knell. Yeah. For any movie, but also for particularly for like animated shows that are usually for kids, they can just seem really chaotic. Yeah, it's interesting because there is a lot going on, but there is this driving thing that they're all after, at and it it all kind of leads to this end point. And I feel I feel like because the movie has this, and again, I'm not going to give anything away, but for the sake of this conversation, let's just say. Um, they're searching for a relic. That's mm -hmm. not what it is, but just it's everybody's after this one thing. Mm -hmm. And they're all going and you can see they're all converging together as the movie goes on. And I feel like because there's that end point that they're all after, it really it makes things work. Interesting. Can I segue slightly? Yeah. Oh, my God. We're back. We're transitioning. <laughs> We're doing everything correct. All right. Go. Um, so I texted you about Wednesday the TV show on Netflix about Wednesday Adams, and you said yeah. you hadn't seen it. So I'm going to be a, a fierce advocate for this show, for you in particular to watch it. Oh. It's so, so good. I feel like Amelia would like it too, although nah, it's probably too violent for her. But, oh my gosh. But it, my point being, like the, the simplicity that you're talking about of storytelling is so useful in Wednesday and they do it to perfection where the mm. entire season of, I think it's like eight episodes, hour long episodes are about one single murder mystery. Just one. It's just one single story, which I always feel like, no, like you can't do that. You have to have multiple stories going on and no, they don't, they don't even try. It's one murder mystery for the entire thing. But the themes are about Wednesday, learning about friendship and learning about trust. And so every episode, the problems that arise are always pointing back to that murder mystery and those two themes. Mm -hmm. And it works. It, the simplicity of storytelling, I think, is something we can't ignore. I tend to overcomplicate things all the time. And Wednesday is just an amazing example of how you don't have to do that. Complications can arise within character and within the simple story if you do it right. Yeah. And Wednesday seems like a perfect character to do that because she, the, the Adams family are outcasts. They're a little goofy, you know, and she probably doesn't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just seems like that's, it seems like such a very clear arc that would already yeah. exist of like, yeah. Oh, wow. No one likes this girl because she's a little weird. And then she starts trusting people along the way and, Doubting people and blah, blah, blah. Meeting friends. It's so good. Is that basically what the show is? That was my pitch on Wednesday. <laughs> it's, it's like darker and more sophisticated 
version of that, but it's that. Yeah. Okay. I'm in. So good. I'll, I'll watch so it. So good. I'll watch it. The hooks um, in that show. I mean, as a writing lesson, the hooks are fantastic. And even if, and they're not, but even if the episode was boring, the hook alone is like, well, shit, I need to watch the next episode. Oh, really? As a, it's a, it's a good writing lesson. You mean this? And they always end on a, like, a, they end on a cliffhanger. They end on a cliffhanger, but even more than that, I think the big lesson that you learn from Wednesday and the hooks is that the end of every episode forces you to ask a new question about mm. either the murder mystery or what's going to happen to Wednesday or what does this new fact mean? So you're always asking a new question and that's what forces you to be like, well, I have to find the answer to this question. I can't wait a day to, or a week to, to answer this question. I need it now. Yeah. That reminds me of White Lotus. That's how I feel about White Lotus. Like they always, it's all character, character, character. And then you get to the final few minutes and then they just kind of present a new little mystery. And you're like, oh shit. I now, wait, oh, they slept together. What's going to happen next episode? Then you need to, you need to like find out what's up. That's another good segue to another thing I wanted to talk about, which I wow. forgot that I was going to talk about it. But I texted you also <laughs> yeah. that I heard a White Lotus story from a cabbie of mine in London. Oh, I didn't know we were talking about this on the podcast. <laughs> so let's let's go. <laughs> Should I not? Because it's like hearsay, hearsay from <laughs> a cabbie no. in London. No, you know what? No, it's obviously Look. true. Let's hear it. It's obviously true. This is from a cabbie <laughs> that took me from London to Heathrow. Oh, and he he was like, oh, you know, the cliche in LA is that uh, everyone works in the entertainment industry. So what do you guys do? And we're like, we work in the entertainment oh, industry. No. And he's like, oh, you know, whatever. And it, it got to, um, I once picked up a guy at some like hoity-toity boutique hotel. And... All he had was a rucksack with him. That was it. And I was like, you have any other luggage? He's like, nope, I got all I need. And I was like, okay, buddy. And wow. I'm taking him to Heathrow and he's going to Virgin Atlantic upper class. And I ask him what he does. And he said, oh, you know, I was just here in town because I, I was in Sicily for a bit. Uh, location scouting for this TV show I'm writing. He's like, oh, what TV show? White Lotus. White Lotus, like, wait, I saw this first season. He's like, yeah, I was, you know, over in Sicily for the, for this, looking for the second season. And they just started talking about how White Lotus came about. And he said that Mike White told him, the writer, told him that he was just in Hawaii during the pandemic when he gets a call saying, hey, from the studio saying, hey, we need something that's contained that we can shoot during the pandemic. Wow. That's, um, like super simple uh, and, and doable. And we need it in a short amount of time. Like we need it right now. And he's like, okay, no problem. I'm in Hawaii. There's this resort over here. Uh, let's buy it out for three months. And he wrote the whole show in like three weeks and they like shot it. In no three way. months, this is what Mike White is telling this cabbie. <laughs> this cabbie, I don't, I don't believe this. Story. He shot it in three months, and boom, he's done. And he's like, I, I'm known for writing things really, really quickly. I can just turn them around. So he's talking about White Lotus season two, and the cabbie was like, Well, what is it about? And he said, No idea. I don't know yet. 
Well, well, I'll figure it out when we get there. Get the. F- I don't buy this story. <laughs> I don't buy. That's what he said. No. That's what he said. And then he was like, I-, "I said, well, that puts a lot of pressure on me because I definitely do not write that way." And uh, he said, "Well, there's a little. There might be a little autism involved." <laughs> It's like, I could just tell this guy was a little, maybe on the spectrum. And uh, that's probably why he was able to write that fast. Well, I So, hey, this is all from Cabby, not Tasha. This is, first of all, this Cabby seems like a little chatty. (laughs) He was very chatty. He also (laughs) told us some pretty great stories of how he'd once been a cop and was on... uh, the escort detail <laughs> for all the royalty. <laughs> can we get this? Can we get this guy in the podcast? <laughs> Special guest, Tasha's cabbie. <laughs> yeah, that sounds. I mean, I don't buy it. I just need to. No, I don't buy it. I'm fifty percent in. I, I need to talk to the cabbie. I'm gonna do some some digging up on Mike White. Let's so, do it. So, Mike, just to, just to recap, Mike White is sitting in Hawaii. At the Four Seasons, yeah, in Maui, and a studio call. Someone from a studio calls him. It's like, hey, man, Mike White, we need something quickly. And Mike Real White's fast. like, I have an idea. He turns. He's on the beach. He looks at the Four Seasons Hotel and is like, I'll get right back to you. <laughs> Yes, that's the idea. All right. We need Mike White on the podcast also. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> With the we'll cabbie. <laughs> so, so, Mike, we talked to your cabbie. <laughs> I'm going to transition. Um, this is about a Twitter thread, actually. Okay. Because this is kind of like getting the new year going and everything. And it's from this woman named Jennifer Gross. And she... She wrote on Lord of the Rings. She did write on Lord of the Rings. I, I said that like I knew that, but I just agreeing with what you said to make it sound <laughs> like I knew. Um, she uh, she put a she has a Twitter thread that basically I didn't know if it was a joke at first. I don't think it is, but it's essentially outlining the schedule of what the industry is like. It's a, and it starts with Sundance mm. is fast approaching, which means Hollywood is shutting down again. So here's a cheat sheet of when the industry is out of the office. And I just want to go through this and I, real quickly because I, we need to talk about it. Can I just read this thread? Please. All right. January. Sundance. Don't expect to reach anyone the week, be- this, the week before. During the 10 days up the mountain or the week after. So this month is done. Okay. February. After the Sundance hangover extends through the first week, pilot season madness goes into full swing, but you can still squeeze out a few productive days. March. South by Southwest, Oscars, expect radio silence during lead-up parties, the event parties, and post-event recuperation. Mm-hmm. April, mark your calendars. This is the month to get things done. Award season is over and everyone hunkers down looking for hot new scripts. With no parties or festivals on the schedule, expect weekend reads and follow-ups. Yay. May, can or con, even though this is for A-list ha- talent, everyone uses it as an excuse to be relaxed on meetings and replies. Then there's Memorial Day, which puts everyone in summer mode the week before leading up to the long weekend and after. So basically the whole month is a wash. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're almost done. June, small window before school lets out and half day Fridays begin. So use this time wisely. July, 4th of July, which is like all holidays. It means no work leading up to it or the week after big vacation month. August, more vacations. Everyone is checked out until fall. 
September, Labor Day, same long weekend rules applies. Then 10 days in Toronto, followed by the Emmys and the usual award party hoopla. October, this is glorious, holiday and event-free <laughs> month. Make those calls, send those emails, dust off those pitches. November's November, you've got three weeks until Thanksgiving, make it count. December, Hanukkah, Christmas, holiday parties, nothing is getting done. And we're back to January. Man, that year flew by. Of course, there are always ex- exceptions. Whew. Oh, man, I want to disagree with that. And it's so weird because <sighs> this industry does work very hard and overworks itself, but that's all true. It's like there's constant vacations and constant, so sorry, I was out for that holiday. Yeah. There are small windows with which to pitch things and sell things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, I don't know if this was like a joke. I don't think it was because uh, you're right. Yeah. Like It is and it isn't. It is and it, and it really is very true. And this is why I, like it kind of hit me because I was like, I was actually thinking this. People really do say they're like, they're like, they use excuses as they're like Sundance, people who don't even go to Sundance as if one person in a company exists and they, and like, that's the only person who can read a script. I'm like, sorry, Sundance is happening. I can't get back to you. And you're like, the fuck does that have? You're, (laughs) what? I know you're you're not at Sundance. (laughs) I see your Instagram. You're not at Sundance. And, uh. I don't know. It's just a weird industry. It's really weird how the mentality is. And you're right because everyone works so hard and they're overworked and everyone's grinding and chasing after this dream. But then there's these built-in things where people kind of slow down and it's just kind of uh, understood that things slow down. Yeah. It's, I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, I think like one of the lessons learned from that is that windows of opportunity are very real in this industry. And that's where you really need to use your agents, your managers, your producers, anyone who's helping you to pitch things or sell things and use their information to see like who is in town, who is reading, who has money. What if they like, by the time we hit October um, and November, yeah, those are open months, but have they spent all their money by then? It's the end of the year. Maybe they don't yeah. have any money anymore. And it's better to wait until the next year. You and I have had these conversations as well about taking specs out. It's like you do have to be really strategic. And that's just part of the process. Yeah. It's so weird. You know, honestly, I've had talks with my manager. And I've had worries about certain months. Oh, can we take a script out in this month? And, of course, there are better months. But... There's also, I think sometimes as a writer, you kind of tend to overthink things. For instance, I read this and I'm like, oh my God, I have to get this done in uh, whatever, March or whatever it is. But that's not always the case. There's always, like people will always be reading, I think. Yeah. I don't fucking know. It's just so confusing. Yeah. It's just be aware of these things. But as you said, there are exceptions. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. That was a, I don't was know. A, I mean, I'm taking stuff out at the end of January after Sundance is over. So end of January, early February is the plan for taking out TV shows. Which is weird because in the past, TV execs never went to Sundance. But now everyone's <laughs> going, apparently. So 
But also, the last thing I'm going to say about this is what if your excuse for not reading a script is because you're at a film festival? Yeah. Like, no, sorry, I can't read this because it's half day Friday. Oh, sorry, I'm on vacation. <laughs> okay, vacation fine is one thing. But it's like, it's not a given to go on a vacation in the summer. Just yeah. because it's the summer doesn't mean, and I have a child, and I go on a vacation <laughs> over the 4th of July. But even I think it's crazy. Anyway, yeah. that's it. That's the, end of, that's the end of that. More work. Soft people not working. <laughs> okay, okay, moving on. All right, all right. Can I talk about my book now? Fine. I promise to make it short. No, like, to it make, could, it make it long. I just, I, if, you, if you open those floodgates, I will not shut up. Okay. But so the, the book on writing that I read over my honeymoon is called A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, in which four Russians give a master class on writing, reading, and life. That is the title. It's by George Saunders, who is this really great um, writer. If you've never read any of his books, I would just dive into any of them. He's a super funny, really perceptive writer. He's just fantastic. But the book is... When I describe it to you, all of all of you are going to be like, well, that's really lame, Tasha. <laughs> Shut up, nerd. But I promise you, it it's not as dry as it sounds. So he, George Saunders, currently teaches Russian literature at, I think, like Syracuse University. And... He's like, I don't, I don't read Russian. I don't know Russian. I just love Russian literature and, and what it teaches us about writing. So he teaches wow. Russian literature specifically to writers. And what can we learn from these great Russian writers? And so he takes, I think it's like 11 or maybe seven short stories mm -hmm. from famous Russian authors like Chekhov and Tolstoy, for example. And he just publishes them in the book. And then he'll break them down. So sometimes he'll take a story and only publish one page of the story. And then the next chapter of the book is, what did we just read? What does it teach us about writing? How does this really great writer set up the story you're about to tell? And then it's like when you analyze a film or a TV show, the way we talk about breaking things down, the more you break it down, the more you learn how a master of storytelling sets things up or mm. does his scene work. And it's stuff that you, if you were just reading, you would sort of passively ingest. But now that he's kind of forcing you to take a look at these stories in depth and is like guiding you through what is essentially like a, a discussion, a writing discussion of this story, you are learning things about story in ways that are really opening up your mind. Um, the same way as you would if you're breaking down scene by scene of a movie and picking apart how it's put together. And it's just so fantastic, you guys. Please read it. It's amazing. And I know it is for Russian short stories, but it's all completely 100% applicable to what we do because it's just about how to tell a story. Where did, uh, how did you get this book? Where did it come from? So I have a tradition every month where I go with my friend, and now Paul, to Salt and Straw in Studio City mm. and try their new flavors every month. 
And this is not a tangent, I promise you. <laughs> so when we buy ice cream, because they, if you know salt and straw, you guys, it, they have new flavors every month that are really interesting. So we go and we get ice cream, and then we walk down the street to the Barnes and Noble, and we just wander through the Barnes and Noble while we finish our ice cream. And while we were wandering, there's this table of just books, just this pyramid of amazing books about wow. writing. And I saw this one, and I love George Saunders from stuff I've read of his before. And I love Russian writers. Tolstoy is my favorite. So I was like, hey, a combo of two things. And I have a plane ride to take soon. I'm going to oh, bring it. Wow. Okay. That's like the equivalent of me walking and being like, oh, there's a, a book of Michael Crichton and Dan Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Does Michael Crichton have a writing book? Uh, he does not. Let me actually... Just say, there is a book called Travels by Michael Crichton, and it is about him basically exploring who he is, kind of coming into being a writer. Yeah. And um, he goes on meditative retreats, and he writes about it, and he talks about all these different things. I don't know if he's on drugs when he's doing it. It was one of his earlier books, but this book changed me. Like, as a human, I was like, wow. This shit is like it just he looks at things differently and and uh, I it, well just to also throw out a recommendation I think it's yeah travels that sounds fantastic oh my god it's so awesome and it's little short stories and basically just chronicling his his career because he started as a doctor and then he started mm. to write under a different name and then he came into his own and then he talks about even how he wrote uh, uh, like how he got the idea for like Jurassic Park and when he met with. Or so I can't remember. Like I, it's been a minute, but it's yeah. an amazing book. I'm googling it right now. What does it say? Is there a summary of it? Fueled by a powerful curiosity and by a need to see, feel, and hear firsthand and close up, Michael Crichton's journeys have carried him into worlds diverse and compelling. Swimming with mud sharks in Tahiti, tracking wild animals through the jungle of Rwanda. This is a record of those travels, an exhilarating quest across the familiar and exotic frontiers of the outer world, a determined odyssey into the unfathomable spiritual depths of the inner world. It is an adventure of risk and rejuvenation, terror and wonder, as exciting as Michael Crichton's many masterful and widely heralded works of fiction. Yeah, I mean, come on. Is there anything better than whatever you just read? <laughs> I'm going to buy it. I'm going to read it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, please do. It'll change your life. But so that's a good book recommendation. I totally stole your book, Thunder. No, you didn't at all. That's great. I just wanted to get that off my chest that everyone needs to read that book. This is a good segue into this article that I sent you. Okay. It's kind of cheesy, actually, now that I'm thinking about it after everything we just talked about, because it's about Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw it. It was, it was about the development of Mickey Mouse and character development. Yeah. And there is something interesting to take from it, but it was an article from our good old friends at ScreenCraft. Mm -hmm. it, it was basically talking to, it was like the, the article was about what you can learn from the character development of uh, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and Goofy, like what that teaches us as writers. And it essentially was saying that Mickey started out as a very uh, complicated character. It basically had all the assets of Donald Duck, this like little angry mouse at times, Goofy, a goofy mouse at times, he was mischievous. But over time, because of the 
juggernaut that is Disney, it just turned into this beacon of like happiness. And that is what Mickey Mouse is. He's not controversial. He just, he's, he's fucking Mickey Mouse. Well, it was talking about how Walt Disney was getting that note early about like, hey, people recognize Mickey Mouse to be this happy mouse. He can't be too uh, controversial. So uh, Disney ended up branching off and creating Donald and Goofy as extensions of Mickey's personality. And where this article eventually goes into is talking about how um, supporting characters in your scripts can be that like extension of your character and it always is in opposition to your character, always challenges your protagonist. And, and, and I thought it was kind of interesting. It was a little bit of a stretch, but it did make me think a little bit. And, and it was a reminder that your supporting characters should push your protagonist. And it's a very mm. simple thing. It's interesting because once you get into writing, sometimes your supporting characters are just there. And in some ways, they, they maybe are there to just literally fill space in a scene because you need your main character to talk to someone, talk, talk what's in their head. And sometimes they're there to move the plot along for us mm -hmm. in a scene, but you're right. Like they have the potential to do so much more. They can bring out the fun. Usually like when you say sporting characters and when you talk about like Mickey that way, I think of like the kooky best friend in every romantic comedy, Go on. they sort of serve that purpose that, that Goofy and, and Donald do where they yeah. kind of speak things that your more steadfast main romantic hero maybe can't say because that doesn't make them heroic and rootable anymore, mm -hmm. but it allows you to have fun with the thoughts going on in your hero's head through yeah. your supporting character. So they, they can do more. And I think I gave this anecdote once before, but it's applicable to this where um, in the movie, oh shit, I'm going to forget the name of it now. Um, Mitty Stop. Driver and David Duchovny are in a romantic comedy together where she has a heart transplant and it is the heart of his dead wife. Oh, um, return to me. Return to me. Return to me. Yeah. So Bonnie Hunt is in that movie and she directed it, I believe. Wow. And... She, <laughs> there's a scene where I think David Duchovny drives up to the restaurant where Minnie Driver works. And I think that's where he meets her. And the valet guy gets into the truck and he's really short, the valet guy and David Duchovny's tall. And so we hold, the camera holds on this valet guy, um, super chipper gets into the car and then it, it holds as he just zzz, like moves the chair further and further up because he's so short. And you're mm -hmm. like, why is it holding there? This guy, like this guy doesn't come back. <laughs> But it's funny. It's a funny moment. And in the, um, I love this movie so much, I watched the commentary on it. Bonnie wow. Hunt talks about how the reason she held there was because she feels like every supporting actor or character like needs to have personality to make the movie feel real and livable and full. And so yeah. that was her her way of doing that there. Oh, that's a long story. No, that's that's great. I, it it, it it's a good reminder. It's it's good to say like to have those characters to make the world feel more lived in and more memorable. Because if you have some supporting character that you can just get rid of and no one even remembers they were there, yeah, it's not good. And 
I've done it with current scripts that I've written where you're like, someone's like, I think you could just get rid of this person and, or, or combine these two characters. And you're like, no fucking way. But then you do it and you forget that other, the first one even existed in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. God. So this all stemmed from uh, a, a, an article about Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. All right. I have one last this week in writing. Yeah. I'm excited. To jump us into our new year of episodes. This is season four, by the way. Oh my God. Yeah. We're on our fourth season of Act Two podcasting. That doesn't even make sense to me. I know. But we just keep going. <laughs> can go till we can't go anymore, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So my my final this week in writing on this. New Year This Week in Writing episode um, is from a friend of mine who had a meeting with some studio execs and they said to him, send us anything, no matter what stage it's in, you know, we'd love to hear anything that you have. Mm -hmm. And his question was a really good question, which is what stage should it really be in? Yeah, because execs will tell you like anything, an idea, like just you know, if you're just kicking something around, like send it to me. Yeah. And I'm gonna turn that question to you before I launch into what I think because it is a tough question. So, what stage should something be in when you have a general and the exec says, "Hey, just send me whatever. Doesn't matter what stage." <laughs> I personally believe it should be a thought out idea that has a beginning, a middle and an end. And you can- At the very can, least, right? At, at the very least, like, let's just even say I'm sitting in a meeting with you and you're the exec and, and they're like, do you have any ideas? And it's just like, oh, I'm really passionate about this one idea, but I, it, I would only say it if it only had a beginning, middle and end. And I, I say that because even someone says any stage, send me a log line, send me just a, a simple concept, whatever it is, I, I, I don't buy that that actually means that. What I think it means is like send me an idea that um, is, is a little more well thought out. Mm -hmm. By the way, I've talked to a producer before that has said, you know, do you have any ideas? And uh, I've sent an idea that hasn't been thought out. And the producer has written back like, all right, cool. What, you know, what happens? And you're like, yeah. oh, fuck, now I have to find out. I don't know. I thought we were going to work on this together. Like, that, that's where yeah. your brain's at. But um, why? What, what's, your, what's your thought? No, I agree. I, I think my answer is kind of sucky because it feels like it's so idea-dependent and person-dependent and exec-dependent. But generally, I totally agree with you because I have also just sent someone a half-baked log line Mm -hmm. Or just like, hey, you know, I'm, I have this super vague idea of a character that exists in this world. And they're like, always, cool, what's it about? And my reaction is the same. It's like, well, I thought you just wanted any idea. Yeah. Which if you want any idea, that means you must be willing to do the work with me. And I don't think they are. They're willing to do the work with you once you have a completely baked idea. Mm -hmm. um, and I... And I think to them, they maybe don't understand what that really means, what stage is in. But to try to get into their heads, like the reason why they say, send me anything no matter what stage is in is because they don't want to discourage you from 
sending them things you're excited about. But if they get something that's just a log line, like they're not going to know what really to do with that. Right. So I do feel like you need to give them more. Having a beginning, middle, end is is great. Like even just a paragraph of this is what I want to do can be, is like the bare minimum I think you should do. Personally, yeah. I feel like what I would do is like have, and this is what I told my friend, is like have like a sort of almost like pitch deck or something ready for them. Yeah. Um Especially if it's like the first thing I'm sending them, I might have something that's just a bit more built out. It's tough though, because I, I do also have friends who have just sent log lines to execs and that's how he communicates with them whenever they say this, hey, send me your ideas. But the feedback I get from him is exactly what you're talking about. Every time he does this and he does it frequently, they always say, well, you know, we already have something like this. I don't really like this idea this one seems interesting. Like what's, how far along are you on this one? And now yeah. he has to go, he then will take that and be like, okay, they don't like any of these ideas. So I'm not even going to write them. And he may be passionate about idea number three that they don't like, but now he's not going to do it because this exec only likes idea number two. And so then he goes down the line on idea number two. And what if this exec just suddenly doesn't like it? I think yeah. then it, the advice then goes back to what is the idea you love? Build that out for yourself. And then... And then pass it to them. But mm -hmm. do it because you're doing it for yourself rather than to please someone when they have this vague directive of send me something any stage. Yeah, it's so hard to do. I actually currently have a producer in my life who's an acquaintance and he has said this to me. Hey, just send me send me something. And I was like, cool. You know, we, we, had, we had met on some other things and I actually did it one time where I had sent him the like, just a log line or just mm -hmm. a general idea. And it always comes back like, well, I need more information. I need more information. And it's the most annoying thing. And I do wonder if sometimes he does, like maybe they're looking for this, that one undeniable log line that's like really rare or I don't know. My point being is every time I've done that, I wish I would have had a, a flushed out idea. Yeah, because you're right. They're looking... They don't want to miss something, right? Their right, job yeah. is to find the coolest new material possible, to find awesome new writers they want to work with. And that's why they throw open their door to you is because they don't want to miss anything. But the thing you want to send them has to be as undeniable as it can possibly be. It has to be you on a page. It has to be amazing because it's so easy to say no to a log line that is not what we're looking for technically. But maybe it is. And once yeah. you write it out in a deck or you write it out in a, in a short one-pager or two-pager um, that gives a beginning, middle, end, then it suddenly bec becomes fleshed out and undeniable because many times execs can't see, and we've talked about this with managers and agents as well, they can't see through a logline to the story beyond it. Yeah. And a lot of times people, they read a logline and they create their own version of the story in their head. And... Um, so let's say my, I send you a log line and I'm like, here's my log line and you're the producer and they're like, oh my God, this is great. Yeah. Can I see a little bit more? Then you send a one pager and then that person ends up writing back like, Hey, well, I, I had a different idea of this log line. I think it should be more like an A24 movie and you made it more of a universal movie, you know? And, and so there's sometimes that's, uh, more is usually better, but not too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. That was also my advice: is don't go too crazy because if they hate it, you just waste a lot. You just waste a lot of time. So, again, if you're doing it for yourself, I think that's that's the best version. And then you're passing it along to them. Just be like, hey, 
I, I think the tone of it is like, hey, I'm working on this thing anyways. Would totally. love for you to be a part of it, but I'm working on it anyways. Damn, I love this topic. We should have just started with this and talked about it the entire time. I feel like it's a it's a good topic to just do a topic on. <laughs> Damn. All right, uh, later. We'll surprise people with it. Oh, yeah, big time. All right. Well, onward. We're back. We're back. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be a great season four in life as well as the podcast. Nothing but hope from this podcast this That's year. That's right. We're not going grim. It might be grim out there. No. But but we're not going down that road. Fuck no. that. Because if Fuck you go it. down that road, like what's what's the what's the end game? The beginning, middle, and end. The beginning is like you're all depressed. The middle, you stay more depressed. And the end, you... Def- you, you despair. Despair. I was going to say you're defeated. But yes. No. Not here. Triumph. Only triumph <laughs> as our third act. I'm saying this one more time just to have it on the podcast. I'm coming over at some point. <laughs> and we're figuring stuff out. We're figuring stuff out, Josh. Yeah. All right. All right. Quote of the day. Let's go. I sometimes joke with my students that if they find themselves trapped in exposition, writing pages and pages in which their action doesn't rise... All they need to do is drop this sentence into their story. Quote, then something happened that changed everything forever. End quote. The story has no choice but to respond. George Saunders from A Swim in a Pond in the Rain. Wow. That's pretty strong. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.